This is Weirdly Enough, your regular podcast for strange stories and amazing facts. Delivered straight to your favorite podcast directory and at weirdlyenough.com. Now, here are your hosts, Andy and Len. So, welcome back to the Weirdly Enough podcast. Yes, we're back on the air again after our little long Christmas break. It was very long, actually. Uh, It's even as long as uh, Australian broadcasters take for their summer holidays. You ever listen to Australian radio? I listen to Christian O'Connell. He's gone out to Australia. And they have like eight weeks where it's just, there's just nothing on their, on their radio hmm. over the summer because it's Christmas as well and summer. Yeah, yeah. So they, they combine the whole thing. I've been listening to a lot and this, this might sound strange or weird, hmm. but I've been listening to a lot of Harold Faltemeyer today. Rings a bell. Is he the guy that did the fame chin through? I'm going to say Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah, Beverly Hills, Axel F, dude, dude. Uh, And The Running Man, and all that kind of really deep, Mm. bassy, you know that. that, I I just had a mood for for that today. Uh, I'd have been listening to a lot of that. But it it reminded me of a film I watched quite recently with Andy Samberg, and it called, um, I can't remember what it was called now. It'll come to me. I've written it down here. where he uh, is like an evil Knievel style motorbike jump guy. Oh, my But uh, the kind of comedy of, of the, the Sandberg thing is it's set in the 90s, but it's got all this kind of running man, <laughs> like, you know, heavy yeah. based uh, music. At it. yeah. It's called Hot Rod. It's very, very good. Oh, I'm being told I need to start a free trial on Microsoft Word, even though I have it. But anyway. <sighs> We'll carry on, uh, carry on regardless. Yes, we are back here with Weirdly Enough. You can find us at weirdlyenough.com. You can ask your smart speaker to play the Weirdly Enough podcast, or you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. So search for Weirdly Enough. Search for us on Google, wherever you will find Weirdly Enough. We're also on uh, YouTube. So uh, that's that's worth, uh, worth the comments alone. We do get a lot of comments on YouTube, and we appreciate any feedback. Uh, remember, your feedback can come directly back to us, podcast at weirdlyenough.com is our email address. Any one of those pop shields to, to, to stop my voice going like that. Flat Earth was try controversial, yes, wasn't it? Yes, yes, but we'll 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 glance on from that. I think we were called quite a lot of names in the comments section. I, 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 I don't, I don't think I'm going to poke into that particular hoarding's nest again. The thing about weirdly enough is we, I think about it as two guys down the pub and one guy's telling the other one a weird story, and we don't believe it or not believe it. We're not. You know, we're not skeptics. We're open-minded to it. A lot of the stuff we talk about is probably nonsense. Some How dare it, you? Some of it has a grain of truth. Um, you, you know, the devil bouncing through the ceilings at, uh, at that uh, stately home down in Ireland is probably nonsense, but it may have happened. We never know. Uh, so it's, it's just... We talk about weird stuff. We don't say whether we believe it or not. And me saying it's nonsense. It may not be nonsense. Who knows? We're just... Oh, we have an open mind. And that's how we have, oh, we approach things here, weirdly enough. As I have tried to consistently explain to folk... <laughs> yes. Cause, folk. Because folk have some difficulty understanding. Even in the year of our Lord. You have to say, you have to pl- say current era now. Current era. Oh, yes, that's, that's the woke the whole, thing. What? No, we're not going to do the woke and, thing. And uh, 
You don't have before Christ anymore. You have before current era. Oh, but it's still BC. That's just so dope, isn't it? But to confuse it even more, Christ was born in 6 BC. Was I right enough? I... Between 6 and 4 BC, they reckon, because Herod wasn't... Uh, Herod would have died by the time uh, zero B, or like AD, by the year zero. So, yeah, that's what they reckon anyway. But who knows? Anyway, um, yes. in the year of our Lord... Uh-huh. 2023. Um, people still don't get the whole business about podcasting. It's like, um, yeah, I mean, I'll not go into it, like, but I mean, I, I've tried to explain what this is all about, and I've, I've been met with kind of incomprehension, to be honest. Yeah. Um, um, sort of relatively benign incomprehension. But what I try and explain is we're basically like the original conception the original idea, the mission statement, yes, the mission statement, if you will, of this podcast is to be a fourteen times of the airwaves, of the air, or, or uh, of yes, the, of the, the interwaves. So we're adopting a fourteen approach, basically, as you say, we never confirm. <coughs> no, we, we, we don't. We're not credulous or, or incredulous. Um, I suppose maybe the difference is I'm our, our stick might be that. I'm slightly more serious and you're slightly more whimsical. Perhaps, yes. Uh, and I'm slightly more credulous and you're slightly more sceptical. Yes. Uh-huh. So that's that really sense. it. You know, it's up to the listener. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, like, can we talk about the glitch in the matrix? Uh, yeah, that was strange. That Explain was what happened. When we were driving here, there was a car in a junction and it was like halfway out of the junction. A load of cars behind it waiting, queuing up. Busy traffic, busy day, and no driver in the first car. They just disappeared. Nobody was, like, in any way worried about this. Nobody was like, where's that person gone? They're all just sitting there patiently, and there's nobody in the front car. Yeah. And we just drove on. We we reckon it was a glitch in the Matrix, and we're coming on home. It's the Matrix. It's the Matrix breaking down. It's a glitch in the Matrix. Another thing about the podcast is I get a lot of people that ask me, what music are you playing this week in your oh, podcast? Sick. Are you for real? <laughs> but anyway, let's get on today. What's this one about? Can we address one thing? Um, you don't I, know how to say it. I, what, no, another <laughs> thing. I was a little presumptuous. Okay. And that I don't know how to say it. I assumed, because we took a little bit of a break there, so I assumed we're starting fresh on season five, but we don't have to if you don't. Want no, to. this is this is the second half of season four. Right. So okay. okay so this <laughs> isn't episode one. This will be no. episode whatever probably, probably eleven. Yeah, we'll work out no. Oh well, I don't know. I, I think I, we're well through it. I was a little presumptuous. I sort of jumped ahead of myself on that one, so you can <laughs> disregard that. But anyway, uh, this we're looking at the. The, the, the let of or the light of pass incident. Yeah. Uh, and basically, we're, we're going behind the Iron Curtain uh-huh. um, for this one. Uh, now, for the first two episodes, we're looking at some notorious deaths, stroke, disappearances. Okay. Uh, which had some very strange aspects of the cases. The, f- the second one uh, uh, we'll be looking at next week is in America and much more recent. But this is an old one from the 50s that happened in, in Russia. Very little known in, in the West until recently. So these are people that just disappeared completely on a ski trip or something, is that right? Hiking, well, yeah, skiing expedition stroke kind of hike. I think more cross-country. The whole sounds a bit too outdoorsy for me. Sort of. 
thing, you know. Yeah. Uh, 25th of January 1959, a skiing expedition sets out across the northern Ural Mountains in Russia. Yeah. And they were they were ten on the party. And open a window. Sorry, don't stop. It is a bit warm in here. I will continue on. Yes. Uh, they were from the Ural Polytechnic Institute, so it was basically like the local tech. Local tech. Um, uh, two women and eight men. Uh, youngest twenty one, oldest thirty eight. Um, so probably a mature student, I would say. Um, or maybe the tutor, could the be. teacher, could be teach. Um, only one would return. Oh. Uh, the group was led by the 23-year-old Igor Delatov, hence the name. Igor! Uh, investigators were able to track the group's last movements by examining diaries and cameras that were found around their last campsite. Now, everything was going normal up until January. Swimmingly. Until, until the second down. Yeah. Um, the group's only survivor, a guy called Yuri Yudin, had the term black as his dodgy knees flared up. Oh, dear. Um, so he had to turn back to camp and the rest of them carried on. Uh-huh. He, as he turned out to be the only survivor. Was he the only survivor? Well, so in a way, he's not really the only survivor then because he didn't go through the experience. True, because it's, it's a dodgy nice. Mm-hmm. Um, on the 31st of January, the group made base camp at the edge of some hills and got ready for the ascent. Uh, they set up a cache of food and extra equipment for their return t- trip. Now, it all went wrong quite rapidly. On the morning of the 1st of February, the party began to track through the pass. Their plan was to get over the pass and camp on the opposite side that night. However, being that this is basically Siberia, the winter closed on, and when winter closes on in Russia, it gets very, very gets nasty. Parky, yeah. Uh, heavy snowstorms and plumbing temperatures as low as minus 40 oh. degrees Celsius. Lovely. So, I mean... We've experienced slightly below freezing. <laughs> and people are going mental. And I remember the time years ago, it got down to, I think, minus 15, did it? Did it? Wow. It, it, uh, yeah, I, I remember that. And I think it was 2010. Yes. And it was it was something some, some else. Mm-hmm. It was something else. Now, bear in mind, there was gusts. But that's at night. You know, those temperatures that we're talking about are the extremes yeah. of the night, whereas this would have been minus 40 during the day, probably. Also, hurricane force winds gusting up to nearly 70 miles an hour. That's good. With minus 40. You wouldn't be long getting frostbite. You wouldn't be long getting frostbite, hi. Uh-huh. Um, the visibility was also deteriorating. The group lost the direction and headed west to the top of the Kulat Sickle. Now, by the way, if I'm butchering this... Don't write in. Don't write in, because... I have many skills in life, but I'm yeah. not a fluent Russian speaker, so okay. you know I'm under pressure to turn out these podcast episodes. So just Are you? okay. Bear in mind, the I I would just go through and say say what you think. Don't make any kind of hesitation. Just say what you think it's going to be. Yeah, and people will probably say, yeah, that's what it is. Well, as as Oscar Wilde once said, never complain or explain. Yes, okay. that's a good Kratos. We're going to go on. Um, I think we should change this to the kind of you know rambling digression podcast because <laughs> we'll just go off on these tangents. We, we wouldn't be very unique then because there's a, a lot of them. But anyway, anyway circling back. Uh, now the worsening conditions forcing the make camp on the exposed eastern slope of the mountain. This was the last trace of them. They disappeared at this point. Mm. No further record. First of February. Um, 
So, but possessions of theirs was found later on, was that right? Yes. Delatov had agreed to send a telegram to their sports club from the tech. As soon as they came back from the mountain, the target date was supposed to be the 12th of February. Okay. So it was like, I'll let you know by 12th of February what's happening. Yeah. Now, the 12th of February came and went with no word from the climbers. However, there was no immediate concerns as expeditions often got held up coming back from the mountains. Got to 20th of February and there was still no word. Right. And the families were starting to kick off and get extremely worried. So the tag sent out teachers and student volunteers to search for them. Mm. Couldn't find them. Right. So they ended up getting the military involved. So it's the, the Red Army and local militia units doing the search and just combing the whole place. Well, I'm sure they'll sort everything out. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't until the 26th that they found the badly damaged and abandoned remains of the tent where the group had taken shelter. Are we starting to think this might be an abominable snowman? Possibly. Uh, the discovery led to more questions than answers. The tent was empty aside from the group's belongings and nine pairs of shoes. Mm. The tent had been cut open from the inside. There were nine p- pairs of footprints and the prints indicated that the walkers were shoeless. Mm. Uh, and they led down to some woods, less than a mile away on the opposite side of the pass. At the edge of the woods, they found the first bodies. Okay. There was two of them, and they were both shoeless and both in their underwear. Uh, there was broken branches in the trees, suggesting that the deceased had climbed up the trees to look for something. Yeah. Nearby, the investigators found three more bodies. Now, it wasn't until the 4th of May before they found the last four hikers, yeah. because they were buried under a 13-foot snowdrift <laughs> in a ravine in the middle of the woods. Lovely. Now... They did a post-mortem on them, and they initially they thought it was uh, hypothermia. However, they had a look at the bodies um, that, that they discovered in May and found mm. that they had skull damage and chest fractures. Mm. The bodies had no external wounds associated with bone structures, so it looked like they'd been killed by pressure. Right. Like, you know, like air pressure. Yeah. Um, one of them, again, I'm struggling with these names, but there's a young lady called Lidmilla Dabina, I'm going to say. Um, unfortunately, she was, she was in a bad way. She was missing her tongue, missing her eyes, part of her lips, as well as facial tissue and a bit of her skull. Yeah. And there's a young guy called Semyon Zolotov, and unfortunately, he lost his eyeballs. Mm-hmm. Uh, post-mortem examination indicated the victims had died six to eight hours after their last meal. Mm. And there was also unusual levels of radiation on the bodies. Wow. Um, there was a young lad called Yuri Kuntasevich. 12 years old, he attended some of the funerals. The coffins were open, as would have been the custom, because quite often in Russia, it's a, they have like a funeral, the, 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 the coffins are open. It's yes, like a cultural uh, Like Lenin, Lenin line yeah. state. Yeah. So he got a look at the bodies, and the bodies were stained like a very deep brown, tan colour. Right. Uh, now this guy, Yuri, grew up to become head, because he became obsessed with us. Uh-huh. And he became head of the, the Delato Foundation. Right. Um, now, the aim of this foundation is to continue investigation of this case, which is ongoing to this day. Uh-huh. And they've actually set up a museum called the, the Delato Museum in a town called Ekaterinburg in the Euros. Right, okay. Now, Ekaterinburg has, again, going off on a slight tangent, has a slightly sinister history. Because if you... Or where that's actually where the Russian royal family were murdered. Oh right. In nineteen eighteen. Um it was in the Katrinberg, so it was a bit of a sinister thing in, in there, you know. Mm-hmm. Some sort of sinister energy uh, in the place. Uh now number of fairies. Initially there was speculation that the local 
indigenous people had done it. Right. And it's a tribe called the Mansai, mm. and they reindeers, reindeer herders. Okay. Um, so the motivation might have been that the party trespassed on their land, um, and they then stalked the Russians and in dead of night had attacked the camp and murdered them all. Yeah. Right. However, the skeptical point of view would be would that really have been enough of a motivation to like do a mass murder? Yeah. And also the Mansi tend to be very peaceable people. Okay. They're not very aggressive people, you know. Yeah. Um another party of hikers had observed strange orange spheres in the sky on the first of February. This was about thirty miles south of where the bodies were found. There had been ongoing reports of the strange currents for several months in the local area. And some years after the incident, the police officer had led the official investigation in 1959. Lev Ivanov published an article which stated that his team had themselves witnessed what he called flying spheres. So it could have been the aliens. Right. Again. Flying spheres. Come. No, uh, was there any talk of uh, the abominable snowman, the Yeti? Surprisingly, no. not actually. Oh, um, now we're getting into an area that I'd be more intrigued by. A couple okay. of interesting theories. Nineteen ninety, um, there's a guy called Anatoly Gushkin, brought out a book called "The Price of State Secrets Is Nine Lives," and he laid out an idea. That the real story was that the hikers were inadvertent victims of a secret weapon experiment. Oh. Um, and they kind of stumbled onto us, yeah. and obviously that one out the forties would want to keep us yeah. under wraps yeah. and not tell anybody. Uh, another possibility is that they just stumbled onto a military test area. At this time, the the army were testing out parachute mines. Right. So what could have happened is they could have been woken out of their sleep by the explosions, ran from the tent in confusion in their underwear and shirtless, mm. and don't know what was going on. Tried to seek cover from the bombard- bombardment, and then due to the minus forty temperatures, yeah. the party got frozen to death. And the others scavenged the bodies for their clothes and then got killed by blast from the bombs, bombs. which would explain the whole pressure thing. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, That's very that plausible, strange, actually, because, yeah. uh-huh. you know, it would be consistent with being blown up. Some of the relatives who viewed the bodies said they had orange skin and grey hair. Right. And this, together with higher than normal levels of radioactivity in the bodies, led to the theory that the, 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 effort, the, the, the Russians were on the QT dumping nuclear waste. Right. Just dumping yeah. them in yeah. the middle of nowhere yeah. and just saying nothing about it, like, you know. Mm. However, it's more likely this could have been because the, the bodies were mummified. Because of, they've been out for months in very dry, very cold conditions. Right. And they just literally got dried out and mummified, which can happen. And up that mountains and stuff. to be radioactive then? Well, good question. Mm. Um, Anatoly Shep- Shepilov, who's an aviation historian, uh, blames the, the Americans. Oh, yes. He alleges that a US spy plane dropped a photo flash bomb, which I've never heard of, but apparently this is a thing. This panicked the hikers who had been in the shelter and then froze it off. Now, there's an interesting one here. Have you ever heard of paradoxical undressing? It's where people feel that they're far too hot when they're actually really cold. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. It, it often, and sadly, it often gets homeless people and people here stuck out in places, you know. Um, the sufferer were experiencing a sensation of burning warmth and their confusion removed their clothing, um, which could explain why they took all their kit off. Um, now, this is a very interesting one, and this is one I like. 2013, Donny Icar published a book called Dead Mountain. Mm-hmm. He theorised that the wind going around the mountain created what they call a Carmen Vortex shade. Okay. And this creates this weird, emphasized effect that can get people panic attacks. Right. <laughs> in this scenario, 
The hikers were overwhelmed by a sense of panic and dread. Yeah. Abandoned the tent in the dead of night without their clothes and equipment. By the time they calmed down, they were stuck in the dark and in the horrible freezing conditions. The injuries in the bodies could have been the result of falling down the ravine in the middle of the night and smashing against the rocks. And there's other fairies um, attacked by local wildlife. Again, could yeah. have been the bottom of the one. Um, high winds blew some of the hikers away because it was like 70 mile power winds. Yeah. So they could have just got literally blown under the ravine. And then the rest died, tried to rescue them. Um, there's another bit of a random one here. An argument due to romantic jealousy because it was, there was like two women and the rest were blokes. Ah. Um, well, they were students. So and they were students. Yeah. So it could have been a combination of hormones, uh-huh. possibly drugs and alcohol. And because you know Russians like a, a little drunk, and who doesn't? Uh, so could it have been there? They were stuck in like a blizzard or something in a tent. Somebody had snuck in a bit of vodka. Yeah, had a few vodkas and things got away, but a bit hated. Maybe you know, you know, these things happen, and it turned violent. Um, there's so there's loads of fairies. Um, and so if anybody has any fairies, drop them in through the normal. Brilliant. Yeah. Very normal, interesting. Um, what happened? Let us know, you know. I would say it's something to do with, like, the, the military bombs or something yeah, like that. That's military casting. I, I, that's, that's where I'm coming from. But anyway, thank you very much for listening to this week's Weirdly Enough. I'm going to be back and I'm going to be talking about the gentleman pirate, uh, Steed Bonnet, uh, in my weird shorts this week. Uh, but do stay tuned for that. Remember, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Facebook. Just search for Weirdly Enough Podcast. We're Weirdly Enough PC on Twitter uh, as well. Or you can get in touch podcast at weirdlyenough.com. If you're from the UK, you'll probably have heard the news this week that Ken Bruce is leaving BBC Radio 2. If you're not from the UK, it probably won't matter a lot to you, but it's kind of a big deal for us here. Uh, Bruce hosts a pop quiz every uh, uh, weekday at 10.30am, and it's written in the UK law uh, that the country must come to a complete standstill (laughs) during uh, the quiz. Uh, Now, why am I talking about this, I hear you ask? Well, the BBC have spent the last few years ruining Radio 2 by replacing well-loved presenters with newer stars who don't have the same appeal uh, and many people think this is a big mistake, but the corporation is well known for making bad commissioning decisions. And one of its biggest, but uh, one of the biggest of these is Flight of the Concords. Remember Flight of the Concords back in the late noughties? That was a great show. It was like made by HBO yeah. or something like that. Um, uh, I'm not sure if you remember HBO uh, made it in the end, uh, and because uh, it became an instant cult classic, following the lives of two naive musicians from uh, from New Zealand in their quest for fame in New York. Uh, Concords had originally been a radio play on the BBC with Rob Brydon presenting it. However, when it came to making a TV version, the commissioners passed up the opportunity to create this cult classic. Uh, the team behind Concords, I hope I say this chap's name that right, uh, Take Wak. T.T. and Jermaine Clements went on to produce many great TV shows and movies, including What We Do in the Shadows. That's the vampire thing. You, you ever watch that? It's, it's really it's good. It's very good. Yeah, yeah. And there's, a, really there's a film set in, in New Zealand of What We Do in the Shadows as well. It's very good. Uh, and uh, now their latest show is called Our Flag Means Death. 
<coughs> the latest series, Our Flag Means Death, is on BBC iPlayer now, as well as uh, HBO Max, I think it's on. I think you can watch it in, in the States. Uh, another season has already been commissioned. Our Flag Means Death chronicles the exploits of a gentleman pirate called Steed Bennett. But some viewers might not realise the story is based on fact. Steed Bonnet uh, was often nicknamed as the Gentleman Pirate. He was born in Barbados in 1688 to a wealthy English family. He married Mary uh, Alambi. Uh, in the series, it shows that it was an arranged marriage. I don't know if that's true or not. I can't find anything that confirms it, but it seemed to be that the family set them up. Uh, he had two, uh, three children with Mary, uh, two sons and a daughter who were all below the age of five when he abandoned the family in pursuit of the high seas. Pirates uh, usually acquire their vessels dishonestly. Uh, they usually plunder and steal ships. However, the Revenge Bonnet ship was bought and the 60-ton sloop equipped with 10 cannons. He had absolutely no seafaring experience and relied on the quartermaster and officer for their knowledge of sailing, which resulted in disrespect from the crew. Interestingly enough, he paid all the crew a wage. History relates that it didn't tell uh, the sailors that they were pirates until they set sail. He captured and plundered four vessels on his initial cruise around Chesapeake Bay before sailing north to New York City and taking two more vessels uh, and picking up some uh, naval supplies. In September 1717, he set sail for Nassau, uh, an infamous pirate den, and en route he encountered a Spanish man-of-war vessel that badly damaged the Revenge, and Bonnet serious, was seriously wounded in the encounter. But at Nassau, he upgraded the sloop and increased its armaments. He added a couple more cannon. Nobody really knows uh, why he called the sloop the Revenge, it's not thought that he was trying to take revenge on anyone particularly or that he had uh, I mean, grievance with anyone, but perhaps it's just a popular name for pirate vessels at that time. In Nassau, now this is the interesting bit, he fell in with the infamous pirate Edward Teach, who is Blackbeard, uh, and he played a large part in the remainder of Bonnet's life. It's thought that Bonnet's place as a gentleman uh, and flamboyant dress sense attracted and beguiled Blackbeard, who befriended the Dundering captain and eventually took control of their revenge, where the pair went on to plunder another multitude of ships around the Delaware Bear Bay area. Uh, a captain of a plundered ship, Captain Cod, this guy was named. Captain Cod. So he probably makes a lot of fish fingers. Described Bonnet as walking around the deck of the ship in a nightshirt, lacking any command and unwell from the wounds he had received during the Spanish attack. Many other accounts catalogued uh, the trials of a seafaring gentleman until his uh, capture and trial in November 1718. After being lectured by the judge on his violations of Christian duties, Sir Nicholas Trott sentenced Bonnet to death. The hanging was delayed seven times when Bonnet visibly... Uh, uh, visibly disintegrating mind moved a lot of Carolonians into pity. So people took pity on him. They said, mm, right. should, should you hang him? And this was actually reported in the, in the English papers as well. Psychologists now look back on Steve Bennett uh, and propose all sorts of mental health issues that caused him to leave his family and embark on a wild adventure with one possible condition being bipolar disorder. Anyway, it's very interesting and he is a very weird man uh, and well worth a bit of a look uh, in our Weirdly Enough. The TV show, it's called Our Flag Means Death, starring brilliant Kiwi actors Reese Darby 
as Bonnet and uh, Takai uh, Wakiki as Captain Blackbeard is well worth a watch. I hope I said that chap's name right. Uh, He he used to be Takei Cohen and he changed his name to Wakiki. Uh, But there you are. Would you like a story about Nessie? Because we always have a Nessie story here. Yes, you never get it. We even brought it into Alistair Crowley. Oh, yes. We do report on it quite a lot and weirdly enough, but there's been another sighting of the Loch Ness Monster are indeed what people are claiming to be the mythical beast anyway. Nessie fans are worried as the sighting wasn't on a on the famous Scottish lake, but all the way across the Atlantic on the uh, on the coast of North Carolina. Sparking fears that the monster may have escaped the loch. Footage shows a huge beast with its head out of the water off the Atlantic beach in North Carolina before its entire body disappeared to surface and then dip back underwater. Uh, some people suggest the monster was actually a gator or even a baby whale after the footage was posted by Chasing Tales Outdoor Bait and Tackle Store. <laughs> sightings of the monster go back as far as 565 AD when its sighting was first documented in the biography of St. Columba. Uh, but popularity of sightings started in earnest in 1933 when a road near the lock was completed which gives visitors a view of the lake. Of course, the surgeon's photo being the, the famous one. That was the, from the 20s, wasn't it? It was the first one. You know, he was actually a gynecologist, yeah. but nobody wanted to say the gynecologist photo because they thought that was a little bit rude. <laughs> no, seriously, that's seriously. true. So they called him a surgeon. Yeah. He was a gynecologist. Yes. They thought that was his credit. <laughs> I'm a bit disturbed by this. Next like, story, I've been. What, what? Well, we'll do this one and then we'll save the rest uh, later. In the skies of Ramalda, things haven't been all they seem, especially if you've seen a helicopter making a rather unusual flight pattern. It turns out that the helicopter pilot flew a fairly simplistic shape of a penis. Uh, so so they allege anyway knowing that his antics would be available for all to see on flight tracking apps and websites later on the penis shape was spotted by popular flight tracker site flat flight radar 24 who went on to tweet the flight path along with the message meanwhile in malta malta's armed forces however were quick to defend their pilots stating that the drawing did not show the entire flight path these antics though not uncommon have been uh, known to land pilots in hot water, with one Navy pilot from the US uh, getting grounded for drawing a willy with jet jet <laughs> trails, which you know, uh, I would have I would given him a medal because I don't yeah. think it would be that easy to do. But there you go. Thank you for for listening. Have you anything more to add? I don't think so. If I got sent off for one for one day, you know. Uh, again, if you like uh, really enough, do subscribe. Do give us a like. It helps a lot. We'll be back again next week with more podcasts. Until then, stay classy. Thanks for listening to Weirdly Enough. Remember to subscribe to get the latest edition as soon as it drops. And don't forget to leave a review. Email us about anything we've discussed or with your own weird tale at podcast at weirdlyenough.com.